0: Chapter thirty, Part One, of Run to Earth, a Novel by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gail Mattern. Chapter thirty, Found Wanting. Part One. Reginald Eversleigh was in complete ignorance of Victor Carrington's proceedings when he received the letter summoning him to an interview with his friend at a stated time. Carrington's estimate of Reginald's character was quite correct. All this time his vanity had been chafing under Paulina's silence and apparent oblivion of him. He had not received any letter from Paulina, fond as she had been of writing to him long, half-despairing letters, full of complaint against destiny, and breathing in every line that hopeless love, which the beautiful Austrian woman had so long wasted on the egotist and coward, whose baseness she had half-suspected, even while she still clung to him. Sir Reginald had been in the habit of receiving these letters as coolly as if they had been but the fitting tribute to his transcendent merits. "'Poor Paulina!' he murmured sometimes, as he folded the perfumed pages, after running his eyes carelessly over their contents poor paulina how devotedly she loves me and what a pity she hasn't a penny she can call her own if she were a great heiress now what could be more delightful than this devotion but under existing circumstances it is nothing but an embarrassment a bore unfortunately i cannot be brutal enough to tell her this plainly and so matters go on and i fear in spite of all my hints she may believe in the possibility of my ultimately making a sacrifice of my prospects for her sake this was how reginald eversleigh felt while paulina was scattering at his feet the treasures of a disinterested affection he had been vain and selfish from boyhood and his vices grew stronger with increasing years his nature was hardened and not chastened by the trials and disappointments which had befallen him In the hour of his poverty and degradation, it had been a triumph for him to win the devotion of a woman whom many men, men better than himself, had loved in vain. It was a rich tribute to the graces of him who had once been the irresistible Reginald Eversleigh, the favourite of fashionable drawing-rooms. Thus it was that, when Paulina's letters suddenly ceased, Sir Reginald was at once mortified and indignant. He had made up his mind to obey Victor's suggestion, or rather command, by abstaining from either visiting or writing to Paulina, but he had not been prepared for a similar line of proceeding on her part, and it hurt his vanity much. She had ceased to write. Could she have ceased to care for him? Could any one else, richer, more disinterested, have usurped his place in her heart? The baronet remembered what Victor Carrington had said about Douglas Dale, but he could not for one moment believe that his cousin, a man whom he considered infinitely beneath him, had the power to win Paulina Dursky's affection. She may perhaps encourage him, he said to himself, especially now that his income is doubled. She might even accept him as a husband. Women are so mercenary, but her heart will never cease to be mine. Sir Reginald waited a week, a fortnight, but there came no letter from Paulina. He called on Carrington, according to appointment, but his friend had changed his mind, or his tactics, and gave him no explanation. Victor had been a daily visitor at Hilton House during the week which had intervened since the day he had dined there and been introduced to Douglas Dale. His observation had enabled him to decide upon accelerating the progress of his designs. The hold which Paulina had obtained upon Douglas Dale's affection was secure. He had proposed to her much sooner than Victor had anticipated. The perfect understanding and confidence subsisting between them rendered the cautious game which he had intended to play unnecessary, and he did not now care how soon a final rupture between Paulina and Reginald, "'should take place. "'Indeed, for two of his purposes, "'the establishment of an avowed quarrel "'between Douglas Dale and his cousin Sir Reginald, "'and the infliction of ever-growing injury "'on Paulina's reputation. "'The sooner such a rupture could be brought about, "'the better. "'Therefore Victor Carrington assumed a tone of reserve "'and mystery which did not fail to exasperate Sir Reginald. "'Do not question me, Reginald,' he said, You are afflicted with a lack of moral courage, and your want of nerve would only enfeeble my hand. Know nothing. Expect nothing. Those who are at work for you know how to do their work quietly. Oh, by the way, I want you to sign a little document. Very much the style of thing you gave me at Raynham Castle. Nothing could be more careless than the Frenchman's tone and manner as he said this. "'but the document in question was a deed of gift "'by which Reginald Eversleigh bestowed upon Victor Carrington "'the clear half of whatever income should arise to him "'from real or personal property "'from the date of the first day of June following. "'I am to give you half my income?' "'Yes, my dear Reginald, after the first of next June. "'You know that I am working laboriously "'to bring about good fortune for you, You cannot suppose that I am working for nothing. If you do not choose to sign this document, neither do I choose to devote myself any longer to your interest. And what if you fail? If I fail, the document in question is so much waste paper. Since you have no income at present, nor are likely to have any income between this and next June, unless by my agency. The result was the same as usual. Reginald signed the deed, "'without even taking the trouble to study its full bearing. "'Have you seen Paulina lately?' he asked afterwards. "'Not very lately.' "'I don't know what's amiss with her,' exclaimed Reginald peevishly. "'She has not written to me to ask explanation of my absence in silence.' "'Perhaps she grew tired of writing to a person who valued her letters so lightly. "'I was glad enough to hear from her,' answered Reginald. "'But I could not be expected to find time to answer all her letters. "'Women have nothing better to do than to scribble long epistles.' "'Perhaps Madame Dursky has found someone who will take the trouble to answer her letters,' said Victor. "'After this the two men parted, and Reginald Eversleigh called a cab, in which he drove down to Hilton House.' He might have stayed away much longer in self-interested obedience to Carrington had he been sure of Paulina's unabated devotion. But he was piqued by her silence, and he wanted to discover whether there was a rival in the field. He knew Madame Dursky's habits, and that it was not till late in the afternoon that she was to be seen. It was nearly six o'clock when he drove up to the door of Hilton House. Carlo Toas admitted him, and favoured him with a searching and somewhat severe scrutiny as he led the way to the drawing-room in which paulina was wont to receive her guests here sir reginald felt some little surprise and a touch of mortification on beholding the aspect of things he had expected to find paulina pensive unhappy perhaps ill he had expected to see her agitated at his coming he had pondered much upon the cessation of her letters "'and he had told himself that she had ceased to write "'because she was angry with him, "'with that anger which exists only where there is love. "'To his surprise, he found her brilliant, radiant, "'dressed in her most charming style. "'Never had he seen her looking more beautiful or more happy. "'He pressed the widow's hand tenderly "'and contemplated her for some moments in silence. "'My dear Paulina,' he said at last, I never saw you looking more lovely than to-night, and yet to-night I almost feared to find you ill. Indeed, and why so? she asked. Her tone was the ordinary tone of society, from which it was impossible to draw any inference. Because it is so long since I heard from you. I have grown tired of writing letters that were rarely honored by your notice. So-so, thought the baronet. "'I was right. She is offended.' "'To what do I owe this visit?' asked Madame Dursky. "'She is desperately angry,' thought the baronet. "'My dear Paulina,' he said aloud, "'can you imagine that your letters were indifferent to me? "'I have been busy, and as you know, I have been away from London.' "'Yes,' she said. "'You spent your Christmas very agreeably, I believe.' "'Not at all, I assure you. Bachelors' party in a country parsonage is one of the dullest things possible. To say nothing of the tragical event which ended my visit, added Reginald, his cheek paling as he spoke. A bachelor's party, repeated Paulina. There were no ladies, then, at your cousin's house? None. Indeed. Paula Dursky's lip curled contemptuously, but she did not openly convict Sir Reginald of the deliberate falsehood he had uttered i am very glad you have come to me she said presently because i have urgent need of your help my dear paulina believe me began the baronet do not make your protest till you have heard what i have to ask said madame dursky you know how troublesome my creditors had become before christmas the time has arrived when they must be paid or when i she stopped and looked searchingly at the face of her companion when you what he asked What is the alternative paulina i think you ought to know as well as i she answered i must either pay those debts or fly from this place and from this country disgraced i appeal to you in this bitter hour of need can you not help me you who have professed to love me surely paulina you cannot doubt my love replied sir reginald unhappily there is no magical process by which the truest and purest love can transform itself into money i have not a twenty-pound note in the world indeed and the four hundred and fifty pounds you won from lord caversham just before christmas is that money gone every shilling of it answered reginald coolly he had notes to the amount of nearly two hundred pounds in his desk but he was the last man in christendom to sacrifice money which he himself required "'and his luxurious habits kept him always deeply in debt. "'You must have disposed of it very speedily. "'Surely it is not all gone, Reginald. "'I think a hundred would satisfy my creditors for a time at least.' "'I tell you it is gone, Paulina. "'I gave you a considerable sum at the time I won the money. "'You should remember.' "'Yes, I remember perfectly. "'You gave me fifty pounds.' Fifty pounds for the support of the house "'which enabled you to entrap your dupes, "'while I was the bait to lure them to their ruin. "'Oh, you have been very generous, very noble, "'and now that your dupes are tired of being cheated, "'now that your cat's paw has become useless to you, "'I am to leave the country "'because you will not sacrifice one selfish desire "'to save me from disgrace.' "'This is absurd, Paulina,' exclaimed the baronet impatiently. "'You talk the usual nonsense women indulge in "'when they can't have everything their own way. "'It is not in my power to help you to pay your creditors, "'and you had much better slip quietly away "'while you were free to do so, "'and before they contrive to get you into prison. "'You know what Sheridan said "'about frittering away his money and paying his debts. "'There's no knowing where to leave off "'if you once begin that sort of thing. "'You would have me steal away in secret, "'like what you English call a swindler?' "'You need dwell upon unpleasant names. "'Some of the best people in England have been obliged to cross the water "'for the same reasons that render your residence here unpleasant. "'There is nothing to be gained by sentimental talk about the business, my dear Paulina. "'My friends at the clubs have begun to grow suspicious of this house, "'and I don't think there's a chance of my ever winning another sovereign in these rooms. "'Why, then, should you remain to be tormented by your creditors?' return to paris where you have twice as many devoted slaves and admirers as in this detestable straight-laced land of ours i will slip across as soon as ever i can settle my affairs here some way or other and once more you may be queen of a brilliant salon while i while you may find a convenient cat's paw for getting hold of new plunder cried paulina with unmitigated scorn then with a sudden burst of passion she exclaimed Oh "'Sir Reginald Eversleigh, I thank Providence for this interview. "'At last, at last I understand you completely. "'I have been testing you, Sir Reginald. "'I have been sounding your character. "'I have stooped to beg for help from you "'in order that I might know the broken reed on which I have leaned. "'And now I can laugh at you and despise you. "'Go, Sir Reginald Eversleigh. "'This house is mine, my home.' No longer a private gambling-house, no longer a snare for the delusion of your rich friends. I am no longer friendless. My debts have been paid, paid by one who, if he had owned but one sixpence, would have given it to me, content to be penniless himself for my sake. I have no need of your help. I am not obliged to creep away in the night like a felon from the house that has sheltered me. I can now dare to call myself mistress of this house, unfettered by debt, untrammeled by the shameful secrets that made my life odious to me, and my first act as mistress of this house shall be to forbid its doors to you. Indeed, Madame Dursky, cried Reginald with a sneer, this is a wonderful change. You thought, perhaps, there were no limits to a woman's folly, said Paulina, but, you see, you were wrong.' there is an end to even that and now sir reginald eversleigh i will wish you good evening and farewell is this a farce paulina asked the baronet in a voice that was almost stifled by rage no sir reginald it is a stern reality answered madame dursky laying her hand on the bell her summons was speedily answered by carlo toas carlo the door she said quietly the baronet gave her one look a dark and threatening glance, and then left the room, followed by the Spaniard, who conducted him to his cab with every token of grave respect. "'Curse her!' muttered Sir Reginald, between his set teeth, as he drove away from Hilton House. "'It must be Douglas Dale who has given her the power to insult me thus, and he shall pay for her insolence. But why did Victor bring those two together?' an alliance between them can only result in mischief to me i must and will fathom his motive for conduct that seems so incomprehensible sir reginald and his fatal ally Carrington met on the following day and the former angrily related the scene which had been enacted at Hilton House your influence has been at work there he exclaimed you have brought about an alliance between this woman and Douglas Dale i have answered victor coolly "'Mr. Dale has offered her his hand in fortune, as well as his heart, and has been accepted. "'You are going to play me false, Victor Carrington?' "'Indeed. "'Yes, or else why take such pains to bring about this marriage?' "'You are a fool, Reginald Eversleigh, and an obstinate fool, or you would not harp upon this subject after what I have said. I have told you that the marriage which you fear will never take place. "'How will you prevent it?' as easily as i could bring it about did i choose to do so pshaw my dear boy the simple honest people in this world are so many puppets and it needs but the mastermind to pull the strings if this marriage is not intended to take place why have you brought about an engagement between paulina and douglas asked the baronet in no wise convinced by what his ally had said i have my reasons and good ones "'though you are too dull of brain to perceive them,' replied Victor impatiently. "'You and your cousin Douglas Dale have been fast friends, have you not?' "'We have. "'Listen to me, then. "'If he were to die without direct heirs, "'you are the only person who would profit by his death. "'And if he, a young man, powerful of frame, in robust health, "'no likely subject for disease,' Were to die leaving you owner of ten thousand a year and were to die while in the habit of holding daily intercourse with you known to be your friend and companion is it not just possible that malevolent and suspicious people might drop strange hints as to the cause of his death they might harp upon your motives for wishing him out of the way they might dwell upon the fact that you were so much together AND THAT YOU HAD SUCH OPPORTUNITIES. MARK ME, REGINALD, OPPORTUNITIES FOR TAMPERING WITH THE ONE SOLITARY LIFE WHICH STOOD BETWEEN YOU AND FORTUNE. THEY MIGHT SAY ALL THIS, MIGHT THEY NOT? YES, REPLIED REGINALD IN HIS gloomiest TONE, THEY MIGHT. VERY WELL, THEN, IF YOU TAKE MY ADVICE, YOU WILL CUT YOUR COUSIN'S ACQUAINTANCE FROM THIS TIME. "'You will take care to let your friends of the clubs know "'that he has supplanted you in the affections of the woman you loved "'and that you and he are no longer on speaking terms. "'You will cut him publicly at one of your clubs "'so that the fact of the coldness between you "'may become sufficiently notorious. "'And when you have done this, you will start for the continent.' "'Go abroad? But why?' "'That is my secret. Remember.' "'You have promised to obey me blindly,' answered Victor. "'You will go abroad. "'You will let the world know that you and Douglas Dale "'are divided by the width of the channel. "'You will leave him free to devote himself to the woman he has chosen for his wife. "'And if, while engaged to her, an untimely fate should overtake this young man, "'if he, like his elder brother, should be removed from your pathway, "'the most malicious scandalmonger that ever lived, "'could scarcely say that you had any hand in his fate.' "'I understand,' murmured Reginald in a low voice. "'I understand. He said no more. "'He had grown white to the very lips, and those pale lips were dry and feverish. "'But the conversation changed abruptly, and Douglas Dale's name was not again mentioned. "'In the meantime, the betrothed lovers had been very happy, and this interview—' which she had always dreaded but felt she could not avoid having passed over, Paulina was more at liberty to realize her changed position and dwell on her future prospects. She was really happy, but in her happiness there was some touch of fever, something too much of nervous excitement. It was not the calm happiness which makes the crowning joy of an untroubled life. A long career of artificial excitement, of alternate fears and hopes, the mad delight and madder despair which makes the gambler's fever, had unfitted Paulina for the quiet peace of a spirit at rest. She yearned for rest, but the angel of rest had been scared away by the long nights of dissipation, and would not answer to her call. Victor Carrington had fathomed the mystery of her feverish gaiety, her intervals of dull apathy that was almost despair in the depth of her misery she had lulled herself to a false repose by the use of opium and even now when the old miseries were no more she could not exist without the poisonous anodyne douglas dale must be blinded by his infatuation or he would have found out the state of the case by this time victor said to himself circumstances could not be more favorable to my plans a man who is blind and deaf and utterly idiotic under the influence of an absurd infatuation—one woman whose brains are intoxicated by opium, and another who would sell her soul for money. These incidents, which have occupied so much space in the telling, in reality did not fill up much time. Only a month had elapsed since Lionel Dale's death, when Reginald Eversleigh and Paulina had the interview described above and now it seemed as though fate itself were conspiring with the conspirators for the watch kept upon them by andrew larkspur was perforce delayed and lady eversleigh's designs of retributive punishment were suspended a few days after the return of mr larkspur to town that gentleman was seized with serious illness and for three weeks was unable to leave his bed mr andrew lay ill with acute bronchitis in the lodging-house in Percy Street, and Mrs. Eden was compelled to wait his convalescence with what patience she might. End of chapter 30, part 1